You're listening to the Redeemer Theological Academy with Pastor Brian Cashelmeyer of Redeemer Lutheran Church, Los Alamos, New Mexico. On the Redeemer Theological Academy, we mine the riches of the Scripture and the Church Fathers and find in them Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer. Here's the Academy with Pastor Cashelmeyer. Why is it low? Is it low? I don't know. I can't tell. Welcome back to the Redeemer Theological Academy. Now, we're going through the book of Jonah. Now, last time we ended at Jonah chapter 1, verse 16. And we want to just go ahead and read that once more. Then the men feared Yahweh with a great fear, and they sacrificed a sacrifice to Yahweh, and they vowed vows. So in the Hebrew text, this is where Jonah chapter 1 ends. I know in the English version of the Bible, you'll have the next verse, which is verse 17. But in the Hebrew scroll, this is actually chapter 2. So I want to end on the note in chapter 1 that these Gentiles are converted to faith. The Holy Spirit works through the preaching and the proclamation of God's word through the mouth of the prophet that was sent to the Gentiles. And now they have a great fear, a fear of Yahweh. As we talked about before, we're talking about faith in Yahweh. Now we close with the great fear, and in chapter 2, we open up with a great fish. So now in Jonah chapter 2, we begin at verse 1. Then Yahweh provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the inner parts of the fish for three days and three nights. Now let's stop right there. And you see the contrast that you have the Gentiles converted to faith. They have a great fear of Yahweh. They fear Yahweh. They trust in Yahweh. And here's the response now to these events. Yahweh acts. Yahweh provides a great fish. Now, the great fish is a means of grace, a means through which Jonah will be delivered. Remember, those sailors, those mariners, had hurled Jonah into the sea. And he's going down, down, down into the depths of the sea. But now we see Yahweh acting. Before, Yahweh was acting by hurling the great wind. And now, Yahweh appoints. He provides a great fish for the purpose of swallowing Jonah. And then we're told that Jonah was in the inner parts of the fish for three days and three nights. Now, immediately, here's where we see the picture in the imagery of Christ. For Christ himself talks about the sign of Jonah, that the Son of Man himself will be in the belly of the earth for three days and three nights, just as Jonah was in the inner parts or the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights. Now, when Jesus refers to Jonah, this is in the context of Matthew chapter 12, after Jesus had just healed a demon-oppressed man who was both blind and mute. Jesus healed him. And it was at this point where those who were watching, the Pharisees, the ones who like to put others under judgment, under their judgment, 
are watching Jesus to see what he does, and they say it's because he is doing this casting out of demons by the power of Beelzebul, the prince of the demons. Now, it's at this point where we have this whole conversation about the speaking against the Holy Spirit. It is by the Spirit of God that Jesus is casting out the demons. And this is where the kingdom of God is coming. For the kingdom comes when the Father gives his Spirit so that we would believe his word. The promise is all fulfilled in Jesus, done by Jesus, to bring the kingdom of God. But this is how the Holy Spirit is, is given, through the proclamation of who Jesus is. Well, the incarnate word is standing before them, healing, bringing the kingdom. But yet, they're going to say that he's doing this by the power of the devil. So Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. And so this is that context of the Holy Spirit, the one who comes to convert the heart. The Holy Spirit, of course, is upon the prophets of God. When the prophets are sent, like the prophet Jonah, the Holy Spirit inspires him to speak as with the inspiration of the written word, so that we can be certain and sure that God's voice is heard. But when you reject the word of God and resist the Holy Spirit, well, then you cannot come to faith. But those mariners in the boat, they had the word of God from the mouth of the prophet Jonah, the Holy Spirit working through that word to bring conversion and to bring faith. But back in Matthew chapter 12, when these things are happening, Jesus then says at verse 36 that I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word that they speak, because by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. So Jesus speaks this to the Pharisees. He's speaking contrary to what they are saying, because they are going against the word of God. Now remember, Jonah is called by God, the voice of God calling him to faith, of course, and then calling him to walk, to travel to Nineveh, to speak. But then Jonah goes contrary to God's word. Now, we discussed this before in chapter 1. But now we'll see in chapter 2 where Jonah will begin to go according to God's word, walk according to God's word, travel with the word of God. But Jesus talks to the Pharisees who are now going contrary to the word of God, the incarnate word of God. And the Pharisees and the scribes know this. And the scribes, the Bible scholars who like to pick out their text to prove that they are right in what they say. The Pharisees who like to put others under judgment because others don't do what they do. So it's in verse 38 after Jesus talks about this day of judgment. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees then responded to Jesus, answering him and saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Now, Jesus just healed a blind and mute man who was oppressed by a demon. But this wasn't good enough for them. 
they wanted a sign, something that would prove that what he says is true and what he does. But it's very fascinating, the response of Jesus, how Jesus answers in verse 39. Jesus says, well, it is an, an adulterous generation, an evil generation that seeks for a sign. But no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So that's a sign that Jesus will be in the belly of the earth three days, three nights, and then he will rise again. Now we'll see that picture and that image in Jonah chapter 2. So notice that Jesus extends this sign to the preaching of Jonah and the conversion of those who heard. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So when Jonah is speaking, proclaiming, preaching in the name of Yahweh, to the mariners on the boat. This is where the Holy Spirit does his work. He works through the word to convict of sin. By the word of God, the Holy Spirit is working in the heart, convicting of sin and converting to faith. And so these sailors, these mariners, have been converted to faith. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. They did not resist the work of the Holy Spirit. They heard the word. So Jesus says that this is the sign that's going to be given. Now, again, that sign goes further by saying the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment. So he was just talking about the judgment. On the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. The prophet Jonah was sent to speak the word of God. And now you have the scribes and the Pharisees who have the word of God. But on that day of judgment, the men of Nineveh, those who were converted to faith by the word of God, the work of the Holy Spirit, to open eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to believe, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And then Jesus goes on further and says, wait, but there's more. Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So this is Jesus, the one who is greater than Jonah. And so this is the message that Jesus is preaching to the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. But to those who did receive him, he gave the power to become children of God adopted by grace. And so that message that goes to Israel, that goes to Jerusalem, Galilee, the whole region of the people of God, the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, heirs of the promise, when they reject that, that word goes out to the Gentiles. So you have this picture of the prophet Jonah being sent to the Gentiles, but he doesn't want to go. You have the picture of Jonah then in the belly of the earth, or I should say the belly of the great fish in the sea. But the sailors are the ones who are converted. They're the ones who hear the word of God. 
and then they throw Jonah over. This becomes the sign, the one who in his innocent blood is hurled into the sea. But after three days, he comes out again and he rises to preach. Now let's go back to the book of Jonah and let's pick up where we left off. So in Jonah chapter 2, verse 1, Then Yahweh provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the inner parts of the fish for three days and three nights. Then in verse 2, So Jonah prayed to Yahweh, his God, from the inner parts of the fish. Now again, this is that same Hebrew word that's used for either preaching in the name of Yahweh or praying in the name of Yahweh. So Jonah is now praying to Yahweh, speaking to Yahweh. And he is calling out to Yahweh in the midst of this situation. Now, what's the situation? Well, again, Jonah had a great idea that he would leave and flee from the face of God. But God, of course, did not leave Jonah. He pursued Jonah, hurling the great wind and then providing the great fish. Now, it is at this point where Jonah is in the fish as a means to deliver Jonah. So the creator of all things is using his creation for a purpose, to deliver Jonah from himself, from his own sin, from death. And so here's where Jonah now prays. Now, remember, when we look at Jonah, we see Jonah as a believer, just like us, one who is simultaneously a sinner and a saint at the same time, as a saint being justified by faith in God's sight for the sake of the person and work of Christ, the one who is greater than Jonah. And so sometimes, like in chapter 1, we see the sinner coming forth. The old Adam and Jonah starts to poke out its ugly head to do the things in the old way in rebellion against God. Other times, like here in chapter 2, we see the new man arising, beginning to desire to walk in God's ways, returning turning to God, being turned by God to have conversation, to have this divine dialogue in prayer, to take the promises of God and then to speak these promises back to God so that God would take these promises in his ear and act based upon who he is and what he says. What he says he will do. So this is Jonah now. This, this old Jonah in him, the old Adam in him, must daily die by repentance, by sorrow, by being remorseful. And so here he is now rising to newness of life in prayer, crying out, Abba, Father, the Holy Spirit being the spirit of supplication, helping him in his day of weakness to pray, even though he may not know what to say. But here's Jonah. Jonah prays to Yahweh his God from the inner parts of the fish. So verse 3. Then he said, I called out to Yahweh from my distress, 
and he answered me. Now, this is the great conversation that God initiates with us when he calls us by his voice to faith. That God will begin this divine dialogue, this consecrated conversation where God speaks and we hear and we say yes and amen. And then in conversation, we speak and God hears. So Jonah cries out. He calls out to Yahweh and Yahweh answers. It is in the midst of his distress. Now we see this throughout the Psalms. The Psalms, of course, are giving to us this divine dialogue, the divine drama where we are to pray to God, the Holy Spirit giving us the words to say when we don't know what we ought to say. And so here Jonah says, I called out to Yahweh from my distress, and he answered me. From the belly of Sheol, I cried out for help. You heard my voice. Now, this is this consecrated conversation, the divine dialogue where God speaks, we hear his voice, we rejoice. Then we speak, God hears our voice, and he rejoices in us. Not because we merit or earn God's favor, but because God is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he changes his verdict from destruction to salvation. This is our God. This is the promise that he gives to us in his word that we can be certain and sure that he desires for us to call upon him in our day of trouble, and he will answer us. For instance, in Psalm 17, I call upon you, for you will answer me. O God, incline your ear to me, hear my words. Or, for example, in Psalm 86, in the day of trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. So this is the call response. God calls us to faith with his word. We hear his voice. We rejoice. Then we respond in this divine dialogue. The Lord opens our lips to declare his praise, our mouths so that we can then petition him, that we can cry out to him in our day of trouble. Humbly looking to the Lord is the one who is our helper. Now, in Jonah chapter 2, this is what we see Jonah doing. Jonah prayed to Yahweh. And so he's calling out, knowing that by faith, these are the promises. Here we see the new man arising to newness of life. One that has new thinking, new desires, new speaking. Speaking the word of God, speaking his promises back to him petitioning God based upon what God declares he will do. He will answer us in the day of our trouble. Now let's pick up at Jonah chapter 2, verse 4. And you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. Then the currents surrounded me. All your breakers and your waves passed over me. Now these words here echo what we are praying in Psalm 42, when the Holy Spirit gives us the words to say. He is the spirit of supplication again. And so in Psalm 42, for instance, at uh, verse 7, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. 
Now you're talking to the creator of all things, the one who has made the heavens and the sea and the dry land. Now let's go back to Jonah chapter 2. At verse 5, he picks up and he says this, And I myself, I said, I have been driven from before your eyes, yet I will again gaze upon your holy temple. Now, let's just pause here and think about this. So all of these events are taking place in the life of Jonah. Now, we know that God is the creator of all things. And we know the promise from the Apostle Paul that God will work together for the good in all things, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those who love him. So here you have Jonah, one who's been called to faith one who has been called into the office of preaching that Jonah would call out, preaching in Yahweh's name, and of course, praying in Yahweh's name. But here Jonah says that he has been driven from before the eyes of Yahweh. And this is Jonah now. He's looking at how things are developing before him as he has gone out into the sea. He sees this as the sea is driving him away. Remember, the great wind was hurled. Then you had the great storm. It's like it's pushing him further and further away. At least this is the way Jonah is seeing this. But yet he says confidently, I will again gaze upon your holy temple. So in the midst of all of these events that are taking place, the creator is using his creation, the sea, the wind, and the fish, all to bring Jonah back. And so Jonah sees these things taking place, and Jonah then proclaims that his hope is once again to go back to the place of God's promised presence at the holy temple, that he will again set his eyes upon God's presence at the temple. So, and again, I will gaze upon your holy temple. This is Jonah praying in the midst of this disaster, this catastrophe that he has brought upon himself in the sea. Now, verse 6, water swirled up to the neck. The abyss surrounded me. Seaweed wrapped my head. I went down to the roots of the mountains, the bars of the earth behind me forever. But you caused my life to go up from the pit, Yahweh, my God. So Jonah is being driven from before the eyes of God with the waves of the sea, with the storm, with the wind, with all these things that are taking place. But yet, in the midst of this, the Creator provides a means for Jonah to live, to be delivered in the great fish. So Jonah's talking about the water swirling up to his neck, taking away his soul, his own being, his own life, the abyss surrounding him on all sides, that he's being wrapped with seaweed around his head. It's, it's, he's like bound up. He can't get out. He is helpless. Yet it is Yahweh who has caused his life to go up. Of course, this is the whole contrast Jonah wants to go down. 
he wants to descend. He keeps going down, down, down to Sheol, to the roots of the mountains, to the bottom of the sea. He doesn't want to go up. He doesn't want to ascend to the temple, like those songs of ascent, the psalms of going up. But here Yahweh causes him to go up. When Yahweh causes his life once again to go up from the pit, that Yahweh delivers him from death. And so in verse 8, When my soul ebbed away from me, I remembered Yahweh, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Now Again, let, let's just pause here and, and try to meditate and contemplate this, that the soul of Jonah, his very life, his very being, his very essence, is about to just fade out. But it doesn't. It's about to. But yet, in the midst of that, he remembers Yahweh. Now, it's not like he forgot Yahweh. We don't mean that at all. In the scripture, when we talk about remembering Yahweh, we talk about remembering the promise of Yahweh. And that promise, of course, is all fulfilled in Christ, the one who goes into the belly of the earth for three days and three nights the one who rises again from the dead. And so he remembers the promise of Yahweh, the one who kills and brings to life, the one who wounds and heals. And so it's at this place that Jonah now talks about his prayer going to a different place. My prayer came to you in your holy temple. Now again, when we're talking about the holy temple, that is the location where God is locating his pardon and peace. That's the promised presence of Yahweh. Now, we know, and Jonah knows, that Yahweh is omnipresent. He is present everywhere. But this prayer in particular goes to the place of grace before God's face at the holy temple where the name of Yahweh dwells for the benefit of his people, promising them pardon and peace and forgiveness and salvation and life. So when he remembers Yahweh, he remembers the promise. And then prayer is a manifestation of faith in the promise of who Yahweh is, what Yahweh does, and what Yahweh will continue to do. Now, when we talk about the temple, this is the place where Yahweh promised his name would dwell. This is the altar where Yahweh promised that blood would be shed, that this would be the place of sacrificial death, that you would see a picture of the substitutionary atonement. The wages of sin brings death, separates from God. And so in your stead, an animal is sacrificed. A lamb in the morning and a lamb in the evening. The morning and evening sacrifice, all pointing to the person and work of Christ. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Now it is at that temple, at that altar, where the name of Yahweh is proclaimed, the promise of Yahweh to deliver from death, the one who will redeem us and ransom us with the blood, 
the blood of the Lamb, for God will provide. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, there are other temples, there are other altars all over that whole realm, all over that whole land of Canaan, but they don't have the promise of the Messiah. They don't have the promise of the seed that will crush the serpent's head. They don't have the sacrifices instituted by God's word with the promise of the forgiveness of sins, the presence of God for pardon and peace. And so here's where Jonah will now contrast the difference between idolatry, which is false worship without God's word, where man-made methods are put into place to try to make God merciful. You cannot make God merciful. So at verse 9, Jonah says, Those who keep useless idols forsake their possibility of steadfast love. Without the word of God, you do not have the true God, the one who is steadfast love, the one who shows steadfast love. The mercy, the compassion, the grace, the loving kindness and loyalty based upon his promise of life and salvation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Redeemer Theological Academy. For more episodes or to leave comments about this show, please visit our website, RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Again, that's RedeemerTheologicalAcademy.org. Thanks for listening, and may our Redeemer Jesus Christ continue to be your life and salvation, your hope and your peace.